What's up, y'all? This is Lee with Pop Evil, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks! Hey, guys. This is Matt from the band Pop Evil. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 314 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 314, we are pleased to welcome from the band Pop Evil, bassist Matt Dorito. Uh We've had uh, leave from Pop Evil on a couple years ago and uh, go back to, to back to when Tony was in the band, actually, around the time of War of Angels. Uh, came out, we had them on uh, the show. So we've been uh, quite a long history with Pop Evil, a band out of Michigan. Uh, they're going to be coming in to do a headline show at the Rex on August 27th. Uh, they're also doing some touring with Three Doors Down this fall, so a great chance to catch a band that's really on a very nice trend, uh, kind of slowly building success over the last couple of years on E1 Music. So we're going to play a track from their latest album. This is called Take It All. I'm going to get into the interview with Matt. Evil. It's my pleasure to welcome Matt Dorito to the show. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Doing very well, very well. It's a, a heat wave here in the Northeast, and you guys are headed to our uh, the Rex Theater here. Uh, coming back, uh, Pop Evil, obviously no stranger to the city of Pittsburgh, uh, but it floored me. I realized it's been about four years since we've had you guys on the show, so uh, a ton has happened with the band since then, so I wanted to kind of catch up with you guys. Um, the um this is is this kind of a one-off um date i know you guys had done some touring with uh with zombie didn't you yeah absolutely um we in fact just got off off the road uh about a month or so ago okay uh with rob zombie and disturbed and uh that was a great great um sort of spring run for us it was okay. it sort of mixed in with all the festivals of the year and mm-hmm. stuff too so we had you know rock on the range and um you know all the ones that go along with it, along with, you know, doing the Rob Zombie and Disturbed stuff. So it was just a killer, like, month and a half for us. 
Now, um, when, when you're getting out in front of, of, I would think Pop Evil would be a fantastic fit uh, for Disturbed. I, I think uh, it's got to be, I, I think, a great pairing for you guys. Was that a particularly good audience for you guys? It really was, you know, and sometimes you don't know until you get there. Uh, we've been really surprised both ways on a number of occasions. You know, when we first went out with um, Judas Priest, like in the beginning of our touring mm-hmm. days, you know, we thought, man, this is going to be awesome, you know, like, well, you know, we're going to build so many fans and stuff, but then we realized quickly that people that are there to see Judas Priest are there to see Judas, Judas Priest. Priest. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, th- there have been some other surprising ones too. You know, like we went out with Nickelback, uh, was it last year? And mm-hmm. those guys were great and their fans were incredibly receptive to us. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the disturbed thing ended up going really, really well for us. And uh, we hope that it would have, and and it did, man. It was it was a really great tour. I hope to get out with those guys again. Yeah, I know. When when you listen to your music, as you know, historically, you know, we've been fans of yours for quite a long time. You guys kind of run the gamut of, you know, some stuff that's pretty heavy, uh, and then you know, one of my all time favorite tracks, "Monster," you made. It's a very touching song. Um, so I could see where you know a band like Priest, you know, they've got some ballads, but even their ballads are heavy. You know, so yeah, it, they it could are. be a tougher fit. Plus, like you said, people are going to see Priest. It's it's kind of like opening for Maiden. You're just there to you're in the way of the band who's coming on. You know, at that point. <laughs> exactly. It's it's nothing personal. I assure you. Um, the band has obviously made tremendous progress over the last couple of years. Um, you know, you're hearing music from you guys. You know, going in and out of Penguin Games. Um, you hear you guys in commercials and things like that. Um, how much do you guys get involved if, with kind of where your music gets used like that? Does that, that opportunities presented to you guys or the management take care of that kind of stuff? You know, it's a combination of all those things. Um, it's our management's job and, you know, our, our, uh, our publisher's job to kind of get things placed and, you know, move songs around and submit them for different, different things. Uh, the commercial, like, I, like I think you're referring to, there is a Ram truck commercial, mm-hmm. Um, and a whole series of them that used our song. And uh, in regards to that, we didn't even pitch it to them. Uh, the CEO of the company happens to be from the same hometown as uh, myself and, and our singer. And he loved the band anyways and just ended up choosing the song. So it was really cool. Uh, and then, you know, you get surprised by things uh, like like the Penguins, you know, using the song. And mm-hmm. uh, you'll see it on ESPN and things like that too. And it's just, Sometimes it kind of takes you by surprise, like you don't know where you're going to hear it, and it yeah. just sort of pops up. But, you know, there's a lot of it, too, that we specifically try to go out and get and, uh, you know, get our songs placed and things, too. Now, is that pretty lucrative? I mean, I have to assume, you know, we, we mentioned Jews Priest when they had a minivan for Honda with, with um, you know, Electric Eye. Um, obviously, there's, there's money to be made in that. But for a younger, you know, kind of hungry band... Is that exposure that significant? Like, do you see, you know, iTunes sales the next day spike after stuff like that? Um, you know, not dramatically spike, and it really depends too. You know, with something like, uh, you know, if it gets played at a hockey game, mm-hmm. not a lot of people shazam it or you right. know necessarily know who the artist is. They just mm-hmm. get familiar with the song, and so much of our of our struggle I guess with our career is just linking people um, with you know they know the music 
right. and they don't know that we're the ones who sing it. You know, there's so many people that go to a pop people concert for the first time and go, "Oh, That's hero, it. you! I know that song. You guys, you guys play that song, or uh, you know, Last Man Standing, or whatever the song is." They, um, it, it's making that connection, you know. It's really, really. It can be really, really difficult. So. Yeah. Now, I mean, um, do you guys with, with E1 get? You know, I, I know the model of the record industry has certainly changed. You know, quite a bit in the last fifteen, twenty years. Um, do they do they get involved in a lot of the promotion of the album, or do you guys still have to do kind of a grassroots thing and and kind of pound the pavement more so? You know, with them being an independent label, it's it's a little bit of both. You know, a lot of it is our own team, um, our management, the guys that they put together that do it. Uh, the label is obviously there for us to use as a resource and mm-hmm. certainly a, a valuable resource at that. But, um, you, you know, it, it kind of they kind of hit it both ways. Like, we'll get, when an album drops, you know, we'll get a publicist or someone to to get on it and, and make some leaks here and there and official press releases and get them into the right hands. And then a lot of it is just us pushing it. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole team that we've surrounded ourselves with. No, um, for a band like yourself, you know, where unfortunately you got into the, to the game of album sales when album sales weren't, you know, really what made musicians rich and famous. Um, do you guys look at something like YouTube? You know, and I, I know having children myself that, you know, they listen to the music on YouTube, you know, so I don't think too many people get paid that way. Is that a blessing for you guys, curse, or kind of a mixed bag? You know, I don't see it as taking away from us at all, and it's hard to tell. I mean, time will tell really what that kind of does for things, but there's no way to go backwards and see what it would be like without it. Right. Um, I can't really tell you how much it's helped or hurt, but, uh, but like, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, it, it's kind of funny that you say that because now every time we put out a single or a song, it's more likely to do well if you have a video with it where there's sort of this gray area uh, you know for the past five years uh, five to seven years something like that where uh, there wasn't really a need for music videos anymore because there was no way to recoup or make money back on them but even now just having like a lyric video or something up so many people will go to YouTube first before going to iTunes like hey man you gotta check out this song and Mm -hmm. they'll try to look at the video for it first you know yeah um it's it's definitely a valuable resource you know and if you if you play the game and you do it right i think it can help uh but i don't know that that directly translates into sales you know so many people just stream things nowadays so um you know i don't know i i think we'll figure that out here in the next uh few years or so really how much it, it helps or hurts now, um, one thing I noticed, you guys, for several albums now, have worked very, very closely with Dave Bassett. Um, can you talk about how that relationship was kind of formed? Um, you know, it's that's a relationship that sort of formed um, between our singer, Lee, and uh, and him, and our management sort of developed, helped develop that relationship. Uh, on this last record, we brought him into the studio a little bit and had him sit down and and uh, work with us as a as a full band and just you know so we could pick his brain and things like that mm-hmm. um he's an incredible guy he's like a an encyclopedia of knowledge for music 
and uh, just a great reference, you know, if if you're trying to bounce ideas off of someone. Was that a, a when that decision was made on the War of Angels record to kind of start working with him? Was that something the band all kind of bought into, or was that a little bit of a source of, of kind of a, a tough thing? And I know a lot of bands, you know, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith have worked with Desmond Child, and you know, famous songwriters. I mean, Def Leppard wouldn't have made some of the albums they made without Mutt Lang. Um, was that something you guys kind of bought in, or were a little hesitant at first? You know, I'm not going to say one like specifically like that we sought him out for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we always kind of collaborate and write with different people. Like mm-hmm. all of us individually as, as band members go off and we'll, uh, collectively like co-write songs and, and put ideas together with people just to see what happens. You know, we, we weren't saying like, man, we have to go to this guy and, and bring right. him in on our stuff to, to help write these songs right. it was more of like uh, an experimental thing like let's you know work with this guy that guy a couple other guys see how it goes see if uh, right. if it sparks anything and and uh, if there's anything there that we want to use you know and he just happens to be a guy that we all get along with and and uh, gel with very easily where you know we'll bring him in on a few things here and there and uh, you know just kind of see how it goes mm-hmm. Now, um, you guys have been, the new album is about a year old now. Um, do you guys kind of ride on the road, you know, in the bus or vans, or or, or do you just kind of go away and decompress for a while and, you know, start the new yeah. writing process when the tour cycle has kind of come to a halt? There's probably a solid year uh, after after we stop recording one album mm-hmm. uh, before we even think about writing again. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of in that vein now where we're back to writing mode and we're starting to come up with little riffs and doing things at soundcheck or, you know, like Nick records a lot of things on his computer mm-hmm. uh, throughout the day. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little bit of that. And then when it's time to focus and really do the album, we'll sit down and, and uh, just kind of seclude ourselves and, Sure. And dive into it a little deeper, but we like to get riffs and things going like throughout the the weeks and months and tours, mm-hmm. and uh, so that we have ideas to work with. Now, do you guys? It, it, maybe it's just my impression, but you guys seem like one of that band that don't seem to have breaks in your touring cycle. Is that like what? What was the longest stint since let's say 2010 that you guys have been off the road? Um, without being in the studio. <laughs> Without being in the studio, gosh, that's tough. Uh, maybe a, a month and a half. Okay. But there might have been like a show or two in there. Just yeah. A couple one-offs. Yeah, it just seems... <laughs> now, do you guys... And I know bands used to do this in the 70s and stuff. They would kind of work on particular markets. Um, you know, the, the you know, let's say, like, the classic example of Kiss, the way they seem to kind of crack uh, Detroit. Rush kind of cracked Cleveland. Do you guys have sort of you know when you're doing a tour say you know we're you're, we're making some headway in you know let's say the the rust belt um you know from detroit or michigan you guys are surely familiar with that area but you know uh-huh. did you guys kind of attack the country that way or did you just let's go wherever the bus takes us uh i guess there was a little more strategy with it in the earlier days uh as far as you know where we could get into and and um you know, in the early days, it was a lot about what radio markets there were, you know, mm-hmm. where we were getting played. Now we're 
we're on the radio just about everywhere. And uh, so, you know, it's not as big of a deal. We can kind of route a tour anywhere that we want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, we had to hit those markets where we were having, you know, a good radio response and, and able to get this song, you know, right. charted. Yeah. Which uh, is- otherwise, you know, if we showed up in uh, Evansville, Indiana or something and and had no radio play, yeah, nobody had ever heard of us. Like, there's really no point in going. Plan to an empty room. Yeah, and I, yeah. I imagine with the technology of you know satellite radio and, and the streaming services, you can probably get some pretty detailed statistics to look at that. Um, you know, as a as a band who's you know done some support for some pretty big acts over the years, I mean, if you guys gotten into those like crazy drives in between shows, or, or are your booking agent pretty fair to you guys when it comes to that stuff? <laughs> we just did some that sucked so bad. We uh, we were up in Canada for three weeks and mm-hmm. uh, just crossed the back over the border yesterday morning. Um, we had a, a stint where we did a four day drive across Canada. Ouch. Canada's big, man. Yeah. Um, we did two shows out there and then drove four days back to the other side of Canada to finish up the rest of the tour. <laughs> yeah, it always seems like when so, you, see, you see Canadian tours, uh, you know, it looks doesn't look so bad on paper but i swear the map gets distorted on how big canada actually is um, yeah it does it, man it, it's it, crazy yeah and it's it's one of those things well at least they did you a favor and did it in, in warmer weather you know so many bands yeah. I, I feel bad it seems like booking agents kind of play jokes on them and stick them up there in february um so yeah so you got some no good weather. man so you guys are um you're doing a string of headline dates and then you're going on the road with three doors down am i correct that's right yep now, we'll be uh, starting that up here pretty soon. Now, do you guys kind of mix up, you know, the the types of songs you do when you're playing for, you know, maybe a slightly less heavy Three Doors Down versus Disturbed and Rob Zombie? Did you mix the setup at all for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think we're at the point right now where our set, when we play a shorter set like that, it, it mainly consists of like the radio hits. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for something like the Three Doors Down tour, we might do two of the the radio ballads instead of just one you know for for zombie and stuff like that so it does have a a factor on it um you know you got to kind of cater to the audience a little bit um but i don't think i don't think that we're afraid to go heavy with three doors Mm. down just like uh, we're not afraid to go soft with disturbed sure um at the end of the day they want us on the tour because we sound like what we sound like and we've had the success with those songs Right. So uh, we try not to shy away from them. Now, Matt, Matt final question is uh, someone who's noodled on a bass. What, what drew you to the bass? The bass guitar? Yeah. Um, you know, I was in high school, and uh, I played in the jazz band. I played saxophone at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had a guitar at home, and I was you know, trying to learn guitar and stuff like that. And then I, like, just from jazz music alone, the way that the bass kind of carries... The, mm-hmm. the whole rhythm section in the band um, I just thought the tone was so cool and the parts were so fun yeah. uh, that I picked it up and, and started playing and, and uh, it was actually jazz that really got me into playing bass any particular players that you kind of latched onto as a youngster um, Billy Sheehan Jaco Pistorius uh, some of those guys Marcus Miller things like that when I was really young yeah. Um 
Excellent choice. Billy was a big one, though. Yeah. I had a yeah. ton of videos of him growing up, watching him shred, you know, solo on bass and do finger taps and pinch harmonics, and chords, yeah. and all kinds of crazy, crazy I stuff. So still remember very vividly the beginning of Addicted to That Rush and being like, you know, I knew I knew Billy, um, obviously from his work with David Lee Roth and Talis and things like that. And but when Addicted to That Rush came out, I'm like, oh my god. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know, from a bass player to step out like that was just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, stuff. insane, man. Just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. All right, Matt. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to keep you any longer. I want to wish you guys the best. You're coming in the end of August, doing a show at the Rex, yep. I believe, on the 27th. Um, it should be a great night. You guys are doing a full-on headline set that night, um, so it'll be great to see you guys come back through the Berg. Definitely, man. We're looking forward to it. Thanks again for having us on the show. My pleasure, man. All right, big thanks to Matt from Pop Evil for coming on the show again. They're going to be in town on August 27th doing a show at the Rex. Very same night, a band, a newer band called Sixth is going to be Mr. Smalls. Uh, they are uh, got an album out last December. It's an EP called Opacities. Uh, they've done some touring with the likes of Slipknot, uh, etc. So a really kind of cool band. I uh, found their sound to be kind of uh, interesting. Sort of reminded me quickly of Corn. Uh, on the track that I listened to, so I wanted to give you guys a chance to listen to it. It's their first foray into the Pittsburgh market, so we're going to talk to a band sixth.
Hi, ladies and gentlemen. With me on the phone, I have from the band Sixth, the guitarist Pin. How you doing today? Awesome. How you doing? Uh, doing good. Uh, guess uh, you guys are out on tour with Periphery right now. Can you talk a little bit about how the tour is going? It's been at this point. It's just been way beyond what we imagined. I think for our first U.S. tour, it's um, from day one in Rally. It's just sort of gone off. The audiences have been incredible. Right on a good show and we're playing with a bunch of bands and we all we all get on with it all cool it's a, a great experience so far cool now this being uh your first u.s tour uh did you, were you guys looking forward to is there any cities you guys are absolutely looking forward to, to hitting I'll, I'll be honest with you no because i've not had much experience in the u.s everything kind of new to me so right i was just up for the uh the whole trip and see everything and it's, it's not let me down so far Cool, cool, cool. Now you guys are uh, touring with Periphery, and Periphery has stated in the past that you guys are a major influence on them. Uh, what's it like sharing the stage with those guys? Uh, it's super cool. Like I've known several of the guys for for a real long time, but obviously being across the pond, we haven't spent a whole lot of time together. So it's good to sort of finally hang out. They're putting on an epic show. They've been very kind to us. So yeah, we couldn't ask for a lot more, really. Cool, cool. Now you guys are going to be hitting Pittsburgh uh, at the end of the month. At the um, Saturday, at the end of the week, uh, we're based in Pittsburgh. Um, you guys are playing a venue called Mister Smalls. You guys, uh, you can know anything about Pittsburgh? Is there anything you guys, uh, you know, researched on or, or looking forward to hitting this city? Um, unfortunately, not. I know nothing, but that's kind of the beauty of it. There's nothing better than rolling up, rolling up somewhere and getting a bit of a surprise. You know. Right. Right. So, well, I'll tell you what, you guys, uh, if you guys get a chance, you're going to have to hit up a restaurant called Primanti Brothers. I guarantee you won't find anything else like it in the country. <laughs> really? What, what are we talking about there? Uh, they take the sandwiches and they uh, put you know the meat on it and they'll throw the french fries on it and the coleslaw and it's all on between two pieces of bread. Okay, that's sounding pretty intense. <laughs> it's actually a great sandwich, especially after a night of drinking or whatnot. Oh, yes. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the band. You guys went on hiatus in 2007. You guys came back uh, in 2014. You guys played Download Festival. Um, what were you guys doing during that seven-year hiatus? I think we all we all kind of went our separate ways for a bit just to refresh. So, for example, um, you know, so Dan Dan Ford, the drummer, and James. Um, had a couple of bands that they were working on. They did the band called Crocodile. Um, that sort of went well. They did some other musical bits and pieces. I had another band, Aliases, that I was doing. Um, Dan is a music producer, so he sort of carried on doing that and sort of worked with bands such as Enter Shikari and things like this. And we all just kept busy, really. I think it was that, but we needed that. We needed that away time from each other, I think. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure if I imagined it would be eight years. So. <laughs> well, what was uh, what brought you guys back together and made you guys decide to do that that download festival? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think it's something that we'd sort of when we'd occasionally bump into each other, often at download festivals. You know, we'd never said this was the end. It was always a hiatus. But right. People would get excited and start talking, but it literally took that long for the stars to align. And um, 
yeah, us being a position where the offer from download was awesome, you know, to headline a stage, you know, and all the rest of this. And we were in a place where everyone was in kind of the same same location for once. So mm-hmm. We went right. for it. And then off the back of that, we had the UK tour. It was literally supposed to be a one-off, just download. Mm-hmm. But then as the offers came in and we started go heading off to India and Japan and all the rest of it, it just sort of took off and we were really enjoying it. It had a whole different lease of life to the last time around. Right, right. Now, when you guys got back on stage, when you're all back together, did it, was it <clears throat> was it difficult to get back into the groove or did uh, you guys just kind of fall right back into it like no time had ever left? It's actually an interesting question. I don't know if it's about so much getting on to stage, but I remember when I was picking up the guitar and sort of thinking, right, I've got to relearn all these songs that I've played for eight years. And literally, when I started thinking about it, it seemed like a really tough thing. But then literally, as you say, about sort of falling, it falling together. When I stopped thinking, it just started letting the sort of muscle memory come back and all the rest of that. It all, right. it all happened really quickly. And, you know, the band sounded tight pretty much immediately. Yeah, it's been it's pretty cool. I think the stage show's possibly improved since the old days, which is right. weird for a bunch of old men now. But <laughs> it's <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, it's it's all kicking. Cool. Now, yeah, you guys got you know you released Opacities at the end of 2015, which uh, great EP. I've been listening to it a lot lately. Um, the song "Under the Weeping Moon" is by far probably my favorite on the album. Um, what, when you guys were writing this music, is there anything, was it different than it was before the hiatus or did, was it kind of like refreshing? It was definitely refreshing. I mean, we, I passed these, we sort of put together in probably the shortest amount of time we put anything together in our entire history. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that it was supposed to be the four songs and then we had a little extra sort of time to bring in the spoken word stuff which I think is a staple of our kind of releases to a point um, and obviously the uh, Days of Dreams sort of more jam based track which we literally just put together as you know, jamming ideas and right. constructing it in a studio environment which is always fun I suppose we did the only thing like that we've done before the cover of Tupelo by Nick Cage, which I suppose, whilst that one had a sort of, it was a cover, so it had some sort of um, structure. Mm-hmm. This one pretty much just brought itself <coughs> together on a bit of a, a bit of a concept. And yeah, no, I mean it, it worked really, really smoothly. Um, was there? We, a- had sort of, we sort of had to sort of leave it as an EP at that point. So I think one thing we we're conscious of is reason for really doing it is the touring was going so well mm-hmm. but we didn't want to be one of those bands that's doing our last ever tour every year if you know what I mean with no right. material and we thought well we've got to keep the momentum and pace and an EP is going to happen a lot quicker than us doing an album an album would be a huge sort of undertaking when we first come back and haven't written together for 10 years so right. Right. it was uh, definitely the right choice Um, now you guys you know you guys our music's real technical and whatnot. Do you guys are you guys conscious of the fact that you guys are gonna to have to be performing these songs live on stage when you were writing, or do you just kind of like this is how it's gonna be and this is what we'll figure it out later? I mean what we try and do is not 
write everything stuck around the computer. We like to actually mm-hmm. sort of play it and sort of use the room. So I think, you know, that way you kind of get a real feel for the song as, as a performance and also you're not so concerned about writing something that's completely impossible. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that's something cool. I think it adds, keeps, our, keeps the band sounding a bit raw and possibly more, slightly more rock and roll than mm-hmm. some of the modern bands that do live in that more studio environment, which is cool. They're just different things, you know. Right, right. Now, you guys, when you guys did this, uh, you used Pledge Music, so you crowdfunded this. You didn't have any label support. Um, why did you guys decide to go that route? Um, again, I think it's the fact that we knew that we've got a sort of very loyal fan base. Um, we didn't have a label in mind that we wanted to sort of work with, or, and we didn't have the time to go shopping around. So right. it was easier to go direct to the fans. Luckily, they you know they came out in their droves and made it happen. Now, in in your opinion, like you know, before the hiatus and and, and after the hiatus, do you think now it's kind of easier to get to the fans than it was before? Or are you seeing any kind of differences, you know, pre hiatus and post hiatus? I think yeah, there's such a difference in the in the sort of musical world in terms of communications and. Yeah, really, it's just down to the internet and how easy it is to communicate with anyone anywhere. And, and you know, you have to work your social media, which is right. something for a band that's, to a certain point, fairly mysterious. We're not one of those bands that's sort of out there all the time, right. trying to, yeah, trying to sort of you know make things, but we sort of let the music speak, and we had to adjust slightly to the process. Obviously, since our last record deal, you know, the whole thing in terms of sort of available money from labels, everything else has completely changed. So it's a different world, but it's one we can, we can still we can still work in. Right, right, right. Now, and then you got the whole streaming thing now, which is really kind of taking off for better or worse, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, you guys are releasing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you guys are releasing the uh, opacities on on physical media uh, CDs, album, whatnot in the next next month. Um, was there a, a reason why you decided to release it streaming online first? Um, no, <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. To be perfectly honest, but yeah, I mean, we yeah, I, I actually can't answer that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Now you guys, uh, you guys have influenced a lot of bands. Periphery, you know, I hear a lot of you guys in between the buried and me and whatnot. What are your influences? I think my musical influences, when it came down to sort of metal kind of stuff, was predating all this sort of modern. So I grew up with your typical bands, your Metallicas, Megadeth, right. Pantheras, etc. Uh, my musical taste, however, is extremely varied. So. I think one of my favourite artists of all time is a guy called John Zorn, who's probably not very messy at all, although he did produce, I believe, the first Mr. Bungle album, for example. He's a crazy right. jazz sort of free jazz kind of thing. I like a lot of stuff that to most people is probably horrendous and un- unlistenable, <laughs> but it's, it's where I take sort of ideas, and whilst it won't translate to what we do musically, I think it gives ideas and sounds and things that you can then twist into something else, you know, right. whilst directly not being that thing at all. So, yeah, things like Sean, sort of electronic artists like Venetian snares and 
things like this. I like a lot of that. But yeah, generally horrible stuff. You know, there's still <laughs> loads of bands I listen to, right. but I don't think I'm taking those influences directly. So you got a lot of big, diverse stuff that you're drawing from. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with all forms of music and right. good in every bunch. You know, I think it's it's limiting to my creativity if I'm <laughs> just listening to within a genre. Right, right, right. Now, um, you guys are on tour right now. Periphery, what you guys got going on after the tour? Well, we literally day after we turn home we've got our, what would effectively be our last show of the year which is just a festival thing over in the UK right um, but then we're full flight into writing and recording this, the actual new full length album awesome so that's that's got to take precedence and we've got to deliver on that one really right right cool well I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to uh, talk to us um Wish you a lot of luck on the tour. Hope you guys are enjoying your time here in the U.S. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you here in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Absolutely. Thanks for having us over in your country. It's been been killer. I'm sure it will be. See you in Pittsburgh. Awesome. Awesome. All right, a big thank you to from the band Six. Again, his band will be at Mr. Small's on the 27th of August uh, doing a show. Uh, you can check out Opacities, their EP. It's available um, all the usual stops, Spotify, iTunes, etc., also, a big thanks again to Pop Evil, uh, Matt, coming on the show. Also doing a show um, not too far from Mr. Smalls at the Rex Theater on the 27th. So I feel like either one of these bands, there is no reason you should have nothing to do on the 27th of August this month. So I want to thank you guys for listening. You can check us out at ironcityrocks.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube are all forward slash ironcityrocks. So no shortage of ways to... Stay in touch with us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We love hearing from all of you. Uh, it's been a great summer for concerts. Hope you've made yourself out to a few shows. Um, I know I've enjoyed it personally, and uh, we're headed into fall, which is always a great time to, to get out and see some great rock shows. So I want to thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care.